You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks reporter at The Athletic Wisconsin. Joining me as always is my good friend and the founder of brewhoop.com, Frank Madden. Frank, how you doing, buddy? Well, it's been a it's been a long day. I was uh, in Amarillo, Texas for a family wedding this weekend. Uh, Amarillo was uh, lovely. <laughs> It's in the panhandle of Texas. How big is Amarillo? Like, is there like, like, is it like, what's like the population city wise? There's there's 199,000 people who live there. So it's big enough that it has like a quote unquote international airport. I'm guessing it like flies to Mexico like once a week. There was like a flight or something like that. Sure. Um, But uh, yeah, we had to fly. There were no direct flights from Austin. We ended up uh, going with my wife's family. We all basically we all had like we all just packed into a united express uh little regional jet from houston and um and flew out uh, it was like, just your family and that was, was it. basically basically yeah um and then it was nice though because like coming <laughs> back like the it's this tiny airport and like it, it was like the fastest airport ever to get through this morning um i watched the um barcelona real madrid uh the classico this morning basically like sitting there at the gate letting my in-laws uh, jump on the grenade that is caring for a uh, nine-month-old baby at an airport and just pretty <laughs> much sat there watching Barcelona destroy Real Madrid 5-1. So that was really convenient. It basically like ended right as our plane was taking off and then um, ended up having a long day of, of I had to drive back from uh, from Houston. So, um, yeah, it was a long day of, of, uh, of uh, travel and tran- transit, um, planes, trains, and automobiles minus the trains. Um, but, uh, I got home and it was an up and down day. As I said, as a Barcelona fan, I was very happy with the result this morning with, uh, Barcelona shredding Real Madrid, but I had DVR at the Packer game. I had intentionally not, uh, been looking at my phone, not looking at Twitter. So as to be held in suspense, I was not expecting the Packers to beat the LA Rams. Mm. Um, and I started watching and it was a very entertaining game. Um, and my direct TV DVR, even though I set it to record an hour and a half after the game, Recorded exactly three hours. Thanks, DirecTV DVR. Mm. Um, so I didn't see the last of uh, like five like five minutes of game time or whatever. So basically the Packers are up 27-26 when, when my DVR cut out. And so then I was like, okay, I guess I'm just going to go see what happened to the game. Um, and then, I, but then as we were going to record earlier, but then I told you, um, let's push till after the World Series ends because uh, I wanted to drink in the tears of the Dodgers um, because after game seven and the way they were like you know crotch thumping and whatever um i became uh, a huge los angeles dodger hater um so i and having previously lived in boston the red sox were like the one team i actually kind of enjoyed um going being in boston in the 2004 world series was was unbelievable um to to go through that i mean i was totally into it cheering for them during that period because they're in the al and not in the nl with the brewers like i don't really feel competition so um and i have a lot of friends from boston who 
I ignore their their Patriots love and Celtics love, and I, I'm okay with cheering them on at the Red Sox. So I really enjoyed, especially Manny Machado, who, again, we're, we're veering way off locked on Bucks talk, but if you have been following the baseball playoffs, Manny Machado, the Dodgers shortstop, uh, had some very questionable slash outright dirty plays against the Brewers, so screw him. And uh, Yaziel Puig hit that home run against the Brewers in game seven. And they were both like doing like the, what do you call that when you like use your hands and you like slap your crotch area to like suck it action? Yeah. Like, I mean, they were doing that literally running around the base paths and crotch chop. And I was just like, no, I I hope you guys like, like are just slaughtered in the World Series after watching this. I had no like real hatred towards the Dodgers before. Um, So I was very happy to see the Dodgers get crushed in the World Series and Machado get struck out and basically fell down on the last pitch of the World Series and striking out. So uh, screw you, Dodgers. Uh, And um, oh, by the way, the Milwaukee Bucks are 6-0 and uh, they have the best point differential in basketball. And we actually were discussing, you you asked me, what do you want to talk about? And you said these games were boring, like the Bucks just blew everybody out and like that it's taken six games and we're officially bored with the Milwaukee Bucks. <laughs> um, so, uh, so that's- uh, to, to be fair <laughs> in, in my defense, uh, I did go through my first ever NBA back to back and I will say it took, it took the life out of me. I will, I will say that, uh, while, while you were, uh, while you are currently recovering from your day of, of travel and transit and all of those things, I spent the entire day recovering from a back to back. Um, I was exhausted, but that's okay. Um, you know, this is the NBA schedule. You're going to power through, but it was like the first real test of it. And I don't want to say I failed. Like I, I got through everything. Uh, but I was very tired today. Um, so uh, that to me, that that is more uh, coloring the conversation than anything else. Uh, but I guess this is just kind of a, a I don't know. It's it's a weird thing to to try to talk about because um, you know you you kind of look at at the games the Bucks have played and then you know the teams that they have played and you know you can poke holes in them or you can do whatever but you just overall like the Bucks have been impressive I, I don't I don't think there's really no matter how much n- never trust the Bucks you have in you uh this I have not said that I have not said I, that I understand. just for the record we we're we we have not you know I think I may have referenced it but not in a actually like saying it per so just before anybody complains to us about us bringing back never trust the bucks i i'm not saying we've permanently retired it but we we're putting that over in the corner we're not looking at it so those those are the questions i've received on twitter is can we retire it and i'm like okay we we can't do Uh, that but like there will not six games in not six games in, but there will not be talk of it uh, as of now. But, you know, even if you are the most skeptic person on earth, like you just look at this Bucks team and I don't know how you uh, how you can manage to not be impressed. Like uh, it, it just seems impossible to me with what they've done uh, to this point. And I guess that, that uh, we can kind of start there. Bucks win 125-95 over the Timberwolves uh, on Friday night. They win 113-91 over their Orlando Magic on Saturday night. Giannis misses the entire third quarter uh, and then manages to come in during garbage time. We'll talk about his um, head contusion uh, here in a little while. Uh, but 
I get that's the official term. That's the official term. That's the official term. Yes. We can talk about that in a little while, but I guess just kind of like the striking thing is, uh, I know, a Chris Herring has kind of for ESPN been like following around the Timberwolves and, you know, writing about them and thinking about them. And, you know, saw him again in, in Minneapolis. And like the one thing him and I were kind of talking about, he's like, you know, he's like, yeah, you know, how's, how's the, the beat life going? Like all that stuff. And like, I was just like, I, I don't know, man. Like it's, it's a weird spot because there's no drama. Like, and obviously we were in Minnesota at the time, which is the exact opposite. There's nothing to talk about on the floor, only all of the drama off the floor. So there's no drama with the Bucks, And overall, they're playing very impressive basketball, but it's the basketball that we largely expected coming into the season, uh, you know, analytically driven, thinking about taking more threes and getting shots at the rim, not taking mid-rangers, and then on the opposite side of the floor, forcing mid-rangers, uh, and then, you know, trying to keep teams away from the rim, like doing all this things and you know like uh, every game can pretty much be summed up in that way like i if if you wrote one game recap of this buck season outside of the charlotte game you've written them all you you know exactly what happened Uh, at some point the bucks math problem won and the other teams couldn't keep up and it like that's the story of the season, and it's going to take a little while for everyone to figure that out, and everyone's going to have to try to you know a- attempt to grasp that that the Bucks have you know totally flipped in this scenario where in the past they just had no idea uh, and weren't doing well with the math problem, and now they have the math problem figured out. They take a bunch of threes and force teams to take twos, and that's pretty much how they're playing now. And Again, another teaser for later in the episode, uh, Bucks Raptors tonight in the in Pfizer form. So that'll be happening tonight. We can talk about that in a little bit as well. But I mean, like, is there interesting things with inside of these games? Yeah, there is. And we can talk about some of those things. But, you know, like bigger picture, uh, you know, zooming out to 10,000 feet, whatever it is, like doing all those things. It's pretty simple. Yeah, I mean, looking at this team, I mean, I think it's both an offensive and defensive story. And I think certainly the, the two weekend games, um, you know, further buoying the Bucks defensive turnaround. You know, I think coming into the season, you know, we, we talked a lot about, you know, do we think this team's going to be, do we think Bud's going to have a bigger impact on the offense or the defense? And it was kind of a fun topic because I think we, we saw we saw a lot, you know, we saw upside in both areas, obviously. Um, but defense was the area where they were obviously you know, we're, we're below average, all, you know, previously. So there was, you know, more daylight just by nature of, of how bad they were previously relative to the offense being actually like pretty solid. Um, and, you know, you just look at the numbers now, you mean, taking cleaning glass, um, they're a little bit lower in offense uh, on some of the more traditional sites that just kind of factor in everything, but um, cleaning the glass, which, which filters out like some end of game garbage time. Um, they've got the bucks at fourth um, in points per possession offensively, nearly a hundred and 17 points per 100 and second in defense at 99. Um, I think they're second also in, in all the other, on all the other sites behind only the Celtics who are having a really tough time scoring. So, um, you know, you talked about solving the math problem and I tweeted it out just now, uh, defensively, 
you know, we've talked a lot about offensively. I don't think we need to talk about how, yes, they are shooting a ton more threes and, and restricted area shots and, you know, cutting out a lot of those mid range shots. And I mean, that's kind of really easy to see. Um, but defensively, uh, you know, the frequency stuff, I mean, we, we talked about this a lot last year, right? Like the bucks in, you know, really the previous seven years were 27th or worst in terms of highest share of shots at the rim. The last year they were the worst. 39.6% of opponent field goals attempts came at the rim. This year, 28.6%. That's first in the league. So from worst to first. In terms of mid-range frequency, last year only 30.5% of mid-rangers um, of all of our shots were mid-rangers. This year, almost 39%. They're second in the league in terms of forcing that. So basically they went from second to last to second to best. Um, and overall threes, they're actually slightly below average in terms of total volume of threes. They were actually top 10 a year ago. But the interesting thing is they've cut way down on their corner threes. So the easier threes, they've actually um, cut out. So pretty much the, the area where basically all their threes come from uh, from the opponent side are, are on above the break threes, which are obviously more difficult. And so far um, they are holding teams down to a, a top five rate in terms of opponent three point percentage, whether that's sustainable. We talk about this a lot, obviously that, that oftentimes that can be a lot more variable. Um, I would recommend people check out the Celtics have been basically good at uh, preventing um you know, basically holding teams to low opponent three-point percentages for like the last decade, like even before Brad Stevens was there, like from the Thibodeau, Doc Rivers era Celtics through the Stevens era Celtics. And um, I think it was on Celtics blog. I think it was Keith Smith. Um, or, I know it was Celtics blog. I don't know if it was Keith or somebody else, but yeah, he wrote a really interesting article about like specifically what the Celtics have done differently that, you know, the thesis is that they actually are doing something that prevents teams from shooting as well on three point percentage uh, in terms of threes, three point percentage, um, which is worth a look if you're really kind of into the minutia of the game. But either way, I think the Bucks <laughs> we're a long way from saying the Bucks are doing anything sustainable. Who knows? But um, 31.5%. Um, I mean, corner threes are at like 23% right now, which obviously like the teams are going to shoot better on corner threes um, than they have to date. But the important thing is they're only allowing 4.1% of total shots from the, from the corners last year was 7%. The year before that, almost 10%, which was dead last. So, um, so again, you, as you mentioned the math problem, I think, you know, we, we've, we've gotten so much wrapped up in the offense and we, I know we've talked a lot about, you know, sort of the zone dropping and, and basically how the bucks are conceding those mid range shots, but you know, that's not quite of a, as sexy of a story sort of from a headline perspective, right? That doesn't lead the, you know, 10 o'clock sports, um, that the bucks are giving up a lot of mid range shots. Um, but again, like right now, the Bucks' defense is ranked more, you know, ranked higher than their offense, which, um, you know, I think you can, account, you know, count down to the fact that, well, a lot of teams are kind of starting to figure out the, the you know, fact that lots of threes are good and, um, you know, don't shoot mid-range jump shots. So there's, there's probably, you know, less of a, uh, of, an, of a benefit to be found there. But you know, so far, you know, knock on wood, <laughs> I mean, if the Bucks can, I, I think this, like, I mean, I think we both talked about, um, I think in the over-under, you, you asked me if I thought the Bucks could be better than 11th. And I think I said yes, defensively. And then I think I took like, you know, under, I think you said what, what you said like third or best, better offensively. And I think I took the worse, worse on that. So, I mean, I was saying this, this team would be a top 10 team basically in both. Um, I think we both have seen that for, I mean, not just this year, right. But we talked about that last year. This team had the potential to be top 10 offensively, defensively. If you do those two things, I mean, you're going to win 50 games, right? And so I think for us, that was part of the expectation. And really the big question is just how good can you be, right? And I think certainly I, I had a lot of questions about, I mean, could you really go from 
18th to top two or three defensively. I and mean, that seemed like a really tall ask. Um, so we'll see, you know, I think the I mean, they have a very difficult schedule coming up I mean, Raptors Celtics, um, coming up this week. I mean, they've, they've got, but like the next seven games are, um, have some, have some real tough games in them. So certainly their, uh, defense will be tested. Their offense will be tested. Um, you know, I, I, I don't want to be the person to doubt that the bucks will, you know, say that the bucks are going to lose a game at some point, but at some point they will lose a game. Um, and I think the next, you know, I think was seven games or so. Um, I mean, if they come out of that with a winning record, I think you probably feel feel very good about where they are. But um, obviously, again, like you just sort of take it one game at a time. <laughs> so far, that's worked out very well for the Bucks. Yeah, and I mean, when you look at some of those teams that that are coming up, like they do have some of the guys that could possibly take advantage of of what the Bucks are doing. Uh, defensively, like you look at this Toronto team, uh, obviously Kawhi Leonard, great shot maker. And, uh, he is more of a, as much as, you know, he, he's a better player than DeMar DeRozan. He takes a lot of the same shots as DeMar DeRozan, where he does end up taking a lot of those mid range shots through ISO looks. Uh, so that's a guy that can take advantage of it. Kyle Lowry is one of those rare breeds that can kind of hit those off the dribble threes. Uh, Kyrie Irving coming up on Thursday. Obviously, you everyone has kind of seen the way that he can play. Uh, Portland, you have Dame Lillard, who like Kemba Walker uh, can kind of do that pull up three thing. Uh, so you'll have that. Golden State, the game after that, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Kevin Durant so on and so forth. So um, there will be some real tests for uh, this defense coming up. But, you know, I, I think thus far they've, they've kind of passed each test with, with pretty flying colors. And uh, I, I would uh, obviously, you know, they've been helped out by some teams uh, like the Orlando Magic generally being not good at basketball and the Timberwolves just being a total dumpster fire uh, at the moment. But, um, you know, like they've they've been tested and they've done those things well. Uh, I know one thing that I talked about uh, before the Timberwolves game with Mike Boonholzer was like, hey, this team has been terrible defensive rebounding for quite literally a decade. Um, you can go back a decade and I think it's either bottom five or bottom seven in defensive rebound. If you go on a clean the glass, I can't remember the exact numbers for sure there, but um, pretty much since Andrew Bogut's last season in Milwaukee, they've been awful, absolutely just terrible on the defensive glass. And that's something that they've really cleaned up this year. Um, and I just think there's this general idea that when you watch this team, like the things that they can control, they are controlling like the, the shot selection. And then also the getting teams into the areas that they want them to be in and take the shots that they want them to take. Like they are doing that well at the moment. And, and that says to me a lot about, you know, kind of the team that you are. And uh, like, you just think of last year, how little control you tended to feel like you had over uh, over the proceedings. Like on offense, you're relying on uh, great isolation plays by by Middleton, by Giannis, uh, by Bledsoe. Like you were hoping, okay, you know, if these guys get hot tonight, like they could put up some good numbers. They're gonna be able to score well. That'll be great. And then on the other end, it's like, oh, you know, you're gonna give up a bunch of corner threes, and you know, if they have kind of a cold shooting night, and you know, if if you're able to get some steals, like you know, maybe things could work out. And you know, if you put those two things together, you're like, okay, yeah, you can get a win. And like the overall, like just the general idea is like, uh, screw that. Let's not leave this up to chance. 
let's actually try to control uh, what teams will be doing and what shots we're going to be taking and how we're going to play on both ends. And um, I just think everything is, is kind of running together and working well uh, for the Bucks at the moment. And uh, we'll see kind of how that continues. Um, I'm trying to think specific things in, in these two games, uh, the Giannis head injury stuff against the magic. That'll be something to talk about. But in that Timberwolves game, I mean, uh, I re- before the game, I, I told Matt and I told Malika Andrews from ESPN. I was like, you know, this is the game I feel least confident in predicting. Like the rest of the first four games for the Bucks, I was like, yeah, okay. Like I, I kind of know what all these teams are. Like Charlotte, fringe playoff team, but, you know, ultimately the Bucks can out-talent them. Indiana, they're going to take some flawed shots. The Knicks, they're terrible. Uh, the Sixers, like they're struggling a little bit uh, with the guys that are supposed to fill Ursan's minutes out and they're kind of struggling with shooting and finding like coherent lineups. So like those four, it's like, okay, yeah, the Bucks will win that game. And then Minnesota, it was just like, I don't know what I'm going to get. Like, you know, maybe like at some point, I don't know when this will happen or maybe it won't happen, but it feels like at some point, Carl Anthony Towns will be like, screw this. I'm tired of Jimmy Butler. Um, I'm going to put up 40 tonight. And, you know, then Jimmy Butler has a good game and somehow they win. Um, that didn't happen on Friday night. Uh, Towns scored two points in the first quarter, in the first half. Uh, Jimmy Butler scored four points for the game. Uh, Towns ended up, I think, had 12 points in the second half, but it was over by that point. And they, they were just, uh, I mean, just a terrible terrible basketball team there just in shambles it's the strangest vibe like uh, for a team that talented to be that bad i it's it's incredible quite honestly like the bucks were terrible at the start of the game absolutely terrible and it was like okay you know they're gonna give the the wolves a chance and no the wolves just didn't really score that much and Eventually, the Bucks ended up beating them 27 to 16 in the first quarter and then 36 22 in the second quarter. And it was pretty much over by halftime. And uh, I mean, uh, that was uh, there was so little to take away from that other than holy shit, the Wolves season is over. Like, there's no fixing this because, okay, you traded Jimmy Butler. Well, you still have Tibbs. Um, okay, you fired Tibbs. Well, you still have Jimmy Butler. Um, okay, so you got rid of Tibbs and Jimmy Butler. Okay, so now you're going with a uh, new coach and president of basketball operations seven games into the season. Okay, good luck. Um, I, it's it's it, it, I, I can't even comprehend it. I, I literally just sat there for the third quarter and would ask this question of anyone around me who would listen, and I'm sure it was quite annoying, but it, I was just like watching the game and just like, what do you do? What do you do with this? And, you know, like no one really has a good answer other than blow it up. But, well, if you want to blow it up, you got to get rid of your coach and president of basketball of opera- basketball operations because I can't imagine he wants to go along with it. So I don't know. I, I, do you have any other thoughts from Friday other than, you know, holy shit, the Wolves are terrible? Uh, no, and I mean, I think while we're enjoying what we're seeing, you know, right now for the Bucks, I mean, and, and again, I, I don't expect the Bucks to be falling off a cliff next year or anything like that, because I think first off, the Tibbs, the Tibbs situation, him being the coach and president of basketball operations and 
you know, they, they haven't defended at any point during his tenure in Minnesota, even when, when Butler was there. Um, but they were pretty good when Jimmy Butler was there last year, right? I mean, they were on track to potentially even being the third seed. Um, but something has always just sort of seemed kind of off. Like, the, you know, like right now, I think for the first time in forever, you know, it feels like the Bucks have a really coherent, like, worldview about how they're going to approach both offense and defense. And, you know, kind of like what Zach Lowe said on a podcast sort of at the beginning of the season, right? Like, it just kind of makes sense. Like, it's just Giannis push shooters around him. Like, you know, like, like the blueprint makes sense, right? It's not rocket science, but that's why it's actually um, something you can kind of believe in. And, you know, he's kind of gotten a lot of guys to buy in, pretty much everybody seemingly to buy into the way that they're going to play. And, and there's obviously consistency. Whereas with Minnesota, even when last year when things were going well, I mean, their offense was really good in spite of the fact that they didn't shoot threes, it was kind of just basically like because Tibbs only played his good players, just ran them into the ground and didn't like play his base bench at all. Um, And then, you know, but defensively they were still bad and just like, I don't know. It was just like weird to kind of figure out like what, what kind of the path was with them. And I think for the Bucks, you know, certainly I think it's a, you know, always good to remember, like things change very quickly in the NBA, you know, like, (laughs) I mean, you know, rewind a couple of years ago, um, three years ago, right? I mean, like, it feels like not that long ago that, you know, the Bucks signed Greg Monroe and he was going to be like, you know, he was probably going to be the leading scorer that year. And, you know, he was like the, like, oh, can they keep Greg? And when they have to re-sign Giannis and Jabari, you know, you got Chris Middleton. You know, it's just like, now it's like ridiculous. Like, I mean, Greg Monroe is like a bit player for the Raptors who we're going to see on Monday. Um, Jabari is like a joke, basically, like a dumpster fire in Chicago. And like, you know, like to think that the Bucks miss him at all is like, ridiculous at this point um and you know Giannis is really kind of the only constant and Chris Milton is continuing to grow but um but yeah I, I don't know I, I screw the wolves like you know I think for, for them you know they they had obviously two young players and I mean this kind of goes back to the story right I mean you know the Bucks got Jabari the Wolves got Wiggins the Wolves basically doubled down on Wiggins gave him 30 million dollars a year the Bucks basically bit the bullet and said, uh, Jabari, uh, you're actually not a guy that we want to build around and we're kind of over it. And as hard as that was, and as disappointing as that was to have to admit, you know, that as much, um, the Bucks have been able to move on. And obviously Giannis being Giannis is a central piece of that, but you know, Carl, Carl Towns, right. A couple of years ago, Carl Towns was the guy that, you know, the NBA GM survey had as the most, you know, coveted guy to build around obviously now it's it's flipped and and now we can say that about Giannis so um so yeah I don't know I mean I think within the Minnesota game um yeah again like I mean the Bucks. I I also kind of was worried that might be kind of a trap because Wiggins was out and Butler was ill and then he ended up playing and I kind of worried like you know is this going to be like the Jimmy Butler slash Towns breakout game but um you know again like no didn't (laughs) didn't happen Giannis struggles in the first half but didn't matter, you know, like the Bucks just made a ton of threes and, you know, got contributions from a bunch of guys, you know, her son had a nice night. Um, you know, Malcolm Brogdon, who Brogdon's going to be fascinating. Um, I know you, I think you, you potted on, you know, I think it was Friday, right. About the kind of, you know, uh, I guess like, you know, this, this general topic about like what to do with Malcolm Brogdon, I think is going to be one of these really interesting ones all season. Um, because he's a guy who I think, could be, you know, a really crucial, like, secondary, you know, complimentary starter who could be, you know, a critical glue guy on a great team. Or he could be a guy that you overpay and then ends up 
kind of like secretly being a guy that doesn't help you because he has some habits that maybe aren't great, like over dribbling and stuff like that. And maybe being not being as good defensively as we want, but, um, but he had a really solid weekend, um, you know, hitting shots, uh, generally playing better. He, you know, the, on Friday I tweeted the bucks when Brogdon's been off the court have been a plus 43 net rating, which is like insane because their starters are all like insanely positive net rating guys. So to be a starter who is like, I think Brogdon at the time was like the worst starter. He was like plus one or something like that. Um, or he was the worst rotation guy. Right. Um, so to be a starter and like not be anywhere close to all the other starters, like kind of tells you that something kind of, you know, again, a super small sample, whatever, but you know, there's kind of something there that bears watching. Cause you know, we, I think we both talked about sort of the thesis for why Brogdon coming off the bench might make more sense and why he doesn't necessarily make it all the sense in the world with the starters, but you know, Budenholzer's kind of stuck with his rotation, been very consistent. And I think there's a good argument for that. I mean, he is, you know, certainly a better player than like a Tony Snell or Pat Connaughton or Sterling Brown or DiVincenzo or whoever else you'd want to put into that mix. Um, and he's your, he's going to be probably be a closer. So you might as well just kind of play them and I'll get him used to it. Um, and it was nice to see this weekend that kind of, you know, we, we kind of got to see a little bit more of that, but I think, I think again, it's going to be an interesting thing to watch just because, um, you know, he is a guy that, that a big decision has to be made on. And, um, uh, you know, again, if you pay 15 million bucks a year for a guy who's like a decent fifth starter, like, I mean, that's not great. I mean, we're, we're seeing the issues with, you know, I mean, again, he's, he's a better, more talented player than Tony Snell, but you know, I think there's, there's some potential issues there. So I think seeing, seeing Brogdon play well, um, you know, I think even Genzo certainly had some moments that were nice to see, you know, I think again, still some questions about like, you know, jump shooting wise, like, you know, I think he's not, not where you want him to be from, from a shooting standpoint, but in terms of, you know, using his motor, his athleticism, um, you know, racking up assists over the weekend as well, which was um, cool to see. Um, you know, I think that there's some, some positive to, to be had from, from DiVincenzo. And, and again, I mean, he's a rookie, so, right? So, I mean, if he's a, if he can be out there and like, I actually feel like he's a plus player and he's not like hurting you, like that's actually a, a very good thing. And then you just kind of cross your fingers that, that is shooting them around. And maybe the only other thing kind of on the margins, um, you know, Pat Connaughton getting real minutes. Um, I know Budenholzer talked about trying to get him into, um, basically as the 10th man in the rotation and, uh, you know, he scored 10, 10 points in 19 minutes uh, on Saturday, uh, hit half of his four threes. Um, and then on, on Friday, um, he's played 17 minutes, uh, scored seven points, one out of five on threes, um, but uh, did have a nice dunk and seven boards. And also just, it, does Pat Connaughton have the prettiest jumper on the team? Like there's, it's just, it's gorgeous. It's just like so easy. Like if I was going to like go tell somebody to learn how to shoot jumpers, I feel like I'd point to Pat Connaughton. Yeah, no, it, it is. It is a pretty shot. And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, thinking through any, any other things to kind of think about, it, it was strange to obviously see Pat Connaughton get second quarter run uh, in Minneapolis. And then uh, after the game, we, we asked Mike Boonholzer about it and, and like you know, it, that game was kind of in hand at the time, so I was like, okay, maybe this is back to back planning. Maybe this is you know something like, all right, let's 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 keep the guys fresh. So let's add Pat in, and you know maybe this can this can work out for us uh, to keep guys ready to go for the second game of the back to back, and that'll be fine. Uh, but you know, he kind of mentioned the idea of playing 10, a 10 man rotation. And then I know I followed up with that on Saturday before the game. And he said, you know, like there's, 
there's kind of a good argument to be made for going to a 10 man rotation. A lot of more coaches are doing that. And, uh, you know, you think about keeping the guys fresh and the talent that we have on our team. And, uh, you think about all those things. And I know he mentioned something about, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to be a month from now thinking, Oh man, you know, if we could really go back in time, we we would have opened up our rotation a little bit more and kept guys a little bit fresher. Like, you know, that'd be a bad thing to think. So maybe let's do it now um, and let's act a little more proactively and think about that. And I mean, he just kind of fits. And I remember asking Giannis post game, you know, what it means for this team that, you know, you have a guy like Pat Connaughton who played 81, 82 games. Last year. He played all 82 last year, right? Um, 82. Yeah. Like 19 minutes a game in 82 and 82 games. Yeah. So, impressive. so I was like, you know, what does it mean to you that, you know, you have a guy that played all 82 last year. He plays 20 minutes per game in those. And like, you know, this weekend you've kind of just expanded to a 10 man rotation and that's the guy that you expand to. And Giannis just like, looks at me. He's like, that's what I'm talking about, man. Like we're so deep this year. Like we we just have guys that can do that stuff. He's like, you know, you think back to my fourth season in the NBA, guys like Thon and Deli were starting. They, those those were our starters, and he's like, now those are guys that can't crack the rotation, and they're professionals about it, and you know they're able to you know handle their responsibilities, and you know we've got to get to see them a little bit more in these last couple of games because we won by a lot, but you know that speaks to just how deep we are that, you know, if we needed to, at some point we could bring those guys in and we could count on them and it would be totally fine if they needed to come off the bench for us. But right now they're not doing that. They're not in our rotation and we're just like that deep of a team. And I mean, I think you just, you think about everything with this Bucks team, both, you know, like the system that, that they're running this year, as well as, uh, you know, the coaching that they have, as well as the few offseason acquisitions that they made. And you think about the rotations and like, just like everything is improved. It, it's really, to me, as simple as that, that everything uh, is kind of improved. And I mean, it's been showing thus far. Um, you mentioned Dante DiVincenzo. Yeah, I mean, I, I've kind of started talking about how he just like does stuff. And, you know, Dante DiVincenzo doing things is a thing I say on Twitter. And, you know, it. I think it describes him well at the moment because uh, he hasn't quite figured out how to be a knockdown shooter yet. But, you know, you think to that game on Saturday, you got Eric Bledsoe throwing him alley-oops. Uh, uh, then he's not able to complete that one in the in the full court uh, transition possession. And then the next possession, they run a backdoor lob for him uh, from Henson, and he gets that. And uh, then, you know, on Friday, he had a, a bunch of assists. And, I mean, like, he just goes out and does stuff. And, uh, I mean, I don't think either of us are really going to move off of our position of, you know, he's got to hit shots to truly be a, a contributor at the NBA level. But I mean, I don't think it's insignificant that through six games now at this point, he's been able to play roughly 18, 20 minutes per game and not be like, oh, good God, I get like, it, we're not saying, oh man, I get getting a rookie reps and stuff, but you got to get this guy off the floor. Like we we haven't said that. Like he's he's generally fine, and that probably speaks to the larger system and all the things that they're doing. But it does also speak to the skill and talent that he does have. Like, and uh, I mean, 
Mike Boonholzer has not been shy about talking about him kind of getting uh, baptized here a couple times. Like he had to chase JJ Redick around. Uh, and I think he had a little bit of time on Jimmy Butler. And I mean, this Jimmy Butler maybe might not be a problem. Um, but in general, like he's had some some tough assignments, some tough uh, covers, and he's kind of dealt with it. And he's gotten cooked at times. And Kemba made him look silly in the first game of the year. But Overall, like you can play him and he's fine. And as we've often said on this podcast and other podcasts, and uh, even as far back in your writing time on Brew Hoop, like rookies are generally bad. And, you know, maybe Dante isn't going to have this huge impact on the game and it's not going to show up in the box score. But, you know, as if he's not an actively bad player. Like, I mean, I think that says something about, you know, what he's been able to do thus far. Yeah. And it's weird comparing <laughs> the bar has moved so much um, for the bucks. Now, like the bucks are almost 11 points per 100 worse when DiVincenzo is on the court, but they're also plus 11 when he is on the court. <laughs> so it's like, you know, it's sure like, uh, so they're definitely worse when he's on the court, but they're still like, kind of awesome when he's on the court so i don't even know what to do with that i did, um, i wrote an article about ursani de silva over the weekend over at the athletic wisconsin and like i had an include like i had to include a paragraph where i like wrote something essentially about you know like typically in these moments when i'm talking about a guy that does like the little things you would be able to point to like a plus minus or like a net rating that shows like oh when he's on the floor he's this and the like the bucks are a better team and it I had to like include a qualifier in there that was just like the bucks have been really great. Um, like it's really difficult to find meaningful like data that shows like, Oh, they're great with this guy on the floor and terrible with this guy on the floor. Like they're just like not really terrible ever uh, at the moment. Um, but it is interesting. So continue. Yeah. And I think, you know, just looking at his numbers, I mean, the three point number, I mean, he's, he, you know, look, he, right now he's shooting 27% from three. Right. Um, now he's not taking only like wide open, totally have your feet set type threes. He's definitely like, you know, not, not that his feet aren't set, but he's not taking just really easy threes. Right. Um, so again, you just hope this is a rookie finding his range again. Um, you know, there's some things about his college stats, like he hit 40% last year from three, but really wasn't a great college free throw shooter, which kind of hints that maybe his, his shooting touches isn't as good as you'd want it to be. He was a 70% guy from the line the last couple of years in college, which often is a better kind of indicator of, of future three point shooting in the NBA. Um, so we'll see. Um, I think some positives, obviously, you know, he does things defensively. Like his activity is kind of uncommon. Like when he blocked what Fultz twice in that game against Philly, yeah. um, you know, he has these random kind of, uh, fly in type rebounds that, um, you know, are like, okay, that's cool. I didn't expect that. And again, like guys kind of gang rebounding. That's, that's why the bucks have gone from dead last to, I think eighth in defensive rebounding percentage. I think, you know, guys making that extra effort. Also the fact that guys aren't running all over the place out of position. Um, that also I'm sure is part of it too. Uh, and Brooke Lopez has had a huge impact when he's been on the court um, in terms of his boxing out, even though he like never grabs rebounds himself. It's the old Brooke Lopez effect. Um, but yeah, I think with DiVincenzo, probably the, the thing that surprised me most is, so he's taking about a third of his shots at the rim and he's actually hit 91% of his shots at the rim. And again, a lot of these are, you know, like uncontested alley-oops and things like that. Um, I think the area that I was concerned about watching him kind of um, in preseason and summer league 
you know, he has these sort of like empty gym hops, um, but you know, and he can look explosive kind of when he has chance to kind of like gather and load up off two feet or, you know, he has kind of like room. Jared Bailey. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a good comp. Um, but he's not a guy who like um, is good off one foot and he's not, he's just not very strong. I mean, he's obviously got short arms. He's not very big. Um, so like if he's driving, it, it is kind of hard, I think for him to really use that explosion. Like, you know, again, we've talked about like, he's not like going to, dunk in traffic on guys it doesn't look like um but again he's a good off-ball guy he was in college he's has been so far um you know the volume even though he hasn't necessarily dunked all of them like the volume of alley-oops he's gotten loose for um is impressive right for a 6-4 guy who's, who's just entered the nba so um so i think that's a positive i mean he's been really effective um you know when he has been kind of having chances around the basket and so we'll see you know i mean again i think um that there's at least some potential there to be a really nice fit for the scheme um, to be a guy that, that obviously if he can hold his own and start knocking down threes more consistently, I mean, you know, to get a rotation guy from your first round pick isn't a crazy thing, but to have a first round pick, you know, in the mid first round who actually doesn't hurt your ability to win games while playing minutes, like that's actually not that common. So that would be a big win, I think for the Bucks, and, you know, wasn't something that I was, you know, really going to be banking on coming in this year. So we'll see. Um, I, I'm, I'm curious to watch Connaughton. Um, again, we're obviously Sterling Brown fans. He had certainly a mixed baggy. I think he won over five in the one game from three. Um, so we'll see. I, I would like to see more Sterling, see if he can maybe get a chance to, to break in as well. Um, but again, this is kind of what we talked about. I mean, you know, one of the big benefits that we wanted to see from Budenholzer was taking these guys who are, you know, the Bucks a year ago, you would say the Bucks were not a team that had very good depth, right? Asset wise, you look at this team and you say, well, there's not a ton of like great assets on this team. And part of that is reflective of the fact they don't have a ton of like proven guys that, you know, demand minutes at every position. But especially on the wing, I think it's actually kind of exciting because, you know, we're sitting around saying like, man, it'd be nice if Sterling Brown got some minutes. Man, it'd be nice if Connaughton got some minutes, right? Connaughton's a guy who has been a consistent rotation player for, you know, last year, a playoff team, a three-seeded team. So, um, you know, I think especially on the wing, you know, if, if, a Snell goes down. If a Brogdon goes down, maybe Brogdon's a little harder because he plays, you know, point guard as well. Um, but the Bucks actually do have a little bit of, you know, have some functional depth. And again, a lot of that is like a coaching staff that can actually maximize role players rather than, you know, kind of make you feel like, man, our role players just, you know, we get killed when our, our starters aren't in the game, which was, you know, kind of the case last year. So um, it's going to be interesting. And I think it's going to be fun to see them play against, you know, the Raptors and, and Celtics. Cause I think those are the two teams you look at in the East as being the, the deepest teams. Um, so it's a good measuring stick, obviously overall, but then also specifically because, you know, everyone would say those teams have more depth than the Bucks. Um, but if the Bucks are really trying to get over the hump and, and to be competitive with those teams at the highest level, um, you know, being able to say like, hey, every night we can put out 10 guys um, and in fact, you know, have more guys who could play in there if we had injuries um, to be get, getting consistent minutes, to be getting like good bench minutes, you know, the, the Raptors, you know, so the Lowry plus bench units have been historically great over the last few years. You know, if you can get start to get some of that effect, obviously that'd be massive because I mean, and, and look at look at the, the minutes distribution for the Bucks right now. I mean, you know, we, we still haven't really talked about Giannis. So maybe we go to that topic next. But, you know, Middleton and Giannis are averaging under 31 minutes per game right now, right? I mean, they're not close to their uh, their season averages last year, which I think, again, I think those numbers are going to go up. But um, but it's it's a really positive thing to see, the fact that you're 6-0, you have the best point differential in the NBA, and 
you're like barely using your, your best players right now. Um, and again, Giannis, a part of that was the injury on Saturday, but you know, he played what 23 minutes on Friday was barely needed. Um, and then on Saturday, you know, takes the hit early, um, actually looks good in terms of like scoring efficiently after he, um, took an early Aaron Gordon kind of like incidental elbow, uh, planks defense. And then, um, as you, you know, basically scores in, five quick points to end the first half has 15 points in the first half. Um, and then, you know, I think everybody's, you know, probably not worse fears, but at that point, you know, obviously everybody was concerned because the bucks come out second half without Giannis and really kind of put the game away without Giannis, which was good to see. Um, but I, I was certainly not expecting to see Giannis come back into that game in the fourth quarter. Um, but obviously the fact that he did is, you know, assuming obviously that, you know, he passes all the tests, which clearly he, that's what they said he did, but um, he then scored a few more quick buckets and looked totally fine doing so. But um, probably the most concerning thing was what we heard after the game. And obviously you were there for that. Yeah, it, it was kind of a, a strange thing to hear because, you know, I was I, I was kind of thinking that, you know, you have you have Giannis go out, you have him do the the tests and all of that. And uh, I know the Orlando broadcast kind of caught Budenholzer uh, revealing to Giannis uh, right before the second half started that, like, hey, you got to go back to the locker room, get some more tests and do all of that. Uh, Giannis, obviously not very happy because he always wants to play, but, you know, he went back to the locker room, did some more tests. And, um, you know, I was expecting after the game to hear, one that you know all of the tests were clear and uh everything was fine and Giannis was okay and uh you know I kind of thought of putting him back in in garbage-ish time um I don't know how early garbage time can start which is a thing I've never had to really consider watching the Bucks before um but I guess I'd need to start thinking about that but you know they put him in in garbage-ish time and he's able to uh go out there get some buckets and in my mind it was kind of a, a thing where you know you have him take the test you say that he's cleared and uh and I shouldn't say say that he's cleared like he, he was either cleared or he wasn't cleared so he was cleared and then he comes back on the floor and you know you can kind of show to uh the league and everyone else that you know he went through the proper protocol uh he was cleared and he went back to play and then you know you don't have as many uh you know, very serious questions about whether or not he's going to be ready to go for the Raptors game so it was to me, all of that made sense. And then all of a sudden we just, we hear from him after the game that, you know, he blacked out and uh, there's parts of him saying like, you know, I don't remember much from the game. And uh, to be fair to him, he did clarify that part of the reason why he doesn't remember much from the game was because he spent most of the second and third quarter doing tests and not watching the game. Um, So, that is, I think, a necessary clarification. But, you know, overall, it was, uh, I think, the the quote I had from him when he said that and then, you know, like I kind of asked for clarification and he said, I, I just got hit in the head. I tried to block the shot. I fell down. I don't remember much after that, but I've got to be careful with that because I could have a concussion and stuff. We did some tests in the second quarter and then I did some tests in the third quarter. It was just a hit in the head. So that was kind of, you know, how they they talked about it. But overall, you know, the the phrase blacked out was mentioned a couple times and not remembering things was mentioned a couple times. And uh, now looking at the NBA's uh, official daily injury report, which is, I think, a new thing that they're doing this year. 
Um, Giannis is listed as, I believe it is uh, questionable uh, for the game against the Raptors. Uh, and the reason for it is a head contusion, which, you know, I don't doubt that he had um, because he did take an elbow straight to the dome. So uh, there's no doubt that there there probably was a head contusion, but um, you know, obviously the word concussion not used at all and uh, we'll see if he's okay. But yeah, like you said, you know, that's I think always going to be like your greatest concern. Like anytime you see Giannis go down, you as a Bucks fan, you know, we've always, uh, kind of tried to avoid that topic uh, because, you know, you never you want you never want to talk about season ending injuries or anything like that. But obviously a number of them have happened to the Bucks uh, in the last couple of years. But, you know, as soon as you see someone hit the floor, you immediately I think your mind goes to the worst possible thing. Uh, it happened twice with Jabari Parker. Obviously, Andrew Bogut it happened with as well. Um, so that would have been unfortunate. But, I mean, I think he's he's generally going to be fine. And I think that kind of brings us to the Raptors where, I mean, this is 6-0 and and 6-0. And and, um, I know I, I mentioned this, I think, on Friday or maybe I mentioned it earlier in the week. But um, a question that I kept getting asked last week was, you know, can – can Sixers Bucks be a big game four games into the season? And, you know, I, I kept saying, yeah, I, I think it can be. Um, and the reason why I, I really felt that was, you know, I think the Sixers and Bucks are probably the third and fourth best team in the East. So, you know, at some point you want to get those tiebreaker games, uh, especially with the Sixers, you play them three times this year. Like if you win one, then you only need to uh, win one of those other two matchups. You have the tiebreaker. Um, and that, that can be obviously massively important as we saw for the Bucks last season as they had like none of the tiebreakers uh, going into it. So I said, yeah, but I don't know if I feel the same way about the Raptors because ultimately I think this Raptors team is better than the Bucks, and maybe tiebreakers don't matter, but also it's two six and O teams. It's a brand new arena. It's the two best players in the Eastern conference and Giannis and Kwai. Like I think there's plenty of reason to say that this is a big game and to think through that process. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're in this really nice little, I don't know if you want to call it honeymoon phase, but you know, we're, we're kind of trying to test the limits of how good this Bucks team is, right? <laughs> like, you know, they haven't lost the game. They have the best point differential in basketball. Um, you know, even if you had a very positive view of the Bucks this year, which I think certainly we did, um, you know, I don't think you necessarily thought it was going to come together this, this quickly. Right. Um, and again, not necessarily the, the most difficult schedule to start, but, Every ta- every game you're facing NBA teams, right? Every game you're facing NBA opponents, and um, you know I tweeted the other night. I mean, the Bucks have trailed in second in the combined second halves of all their games. The Bucks have trailed for a grand total of 23 seconds, 144 minutes in second halves. They trailed for 10 seconds against the Hornets in the last minute, and they trailed for I think 13 seconds. Um, I don't think it was in like the midway mark or so of the fourth quarter against the Knicks. So. You know, again, I mean, we talked about it, you know, like you kind of just all you can do is play the teams that are in front of you and, you know, beat the crap out of them as much as you can. And the Bucks are just doing that night in, night out. Right. And they had obviously a nervous last quarter in uh, in Charlotte and they, you know, let the uh, let the Knicks get back into it. But, you know, even that Knicks game they, they handled and all the other games 
have not really been particularly competitive. Um, and, and that's, that's really a testament to, to how much they're buying in. And I think it's so important to just, you know, again, with a new coach, new system, just kind of building that, that confidence early and like giving everybody a reason to believe that this is the way you're going to win games. I think is just so important versus if, you know, they just had been doing this year in and year out, then, you know, maybe you, you already have that belief, but obviously this is all new and you have a couple, you know, a couple certainly new players in rotation that obviously it's nice to see everything kind of working out with Lopez in particular, but um, yeah, I mean, I think it's a big game. It's a measuring stick game. I think, um, you know, we talked about why the bucks, especially with Lopez, that addition makes them a really interesting matchup for the Sixers and why the Bucks probably match up for the Sixers matchup with the Sixers really well. Um, it'll be interesting to see what we say after this Raptors game being kind of the first chance to see how the teams match up there. Um, I think you can certainly argue that they will not match up quite as well just because um, obviously the, the Raptors are not as dependent on Jonas Valanciunas as, um, as the, the Sixers are with Embiid. So uh, the Raptors can go smaller. They can run with, you know, Siakam and Ananobi and Ibaka as, you know, kind of their, their big guys up front with Kawhi can play for, you know, so they can play smaller. They can play different styles. Um, they have terrific depth in, in a way that certainly Philly doesn't have. Um, so I think they're going to be a great test and, um, very curious to see, you know, what, how do the Bucks sort of kind of go, you know, kind of from an X's and O's from a, a matchup standpoint, how do they kind of adapt? And, you know, do we see a lot more of, you know, uh, knock on wood, if Giannis plays, do we see a lot more of, you know, Giannis and Ursan together, um, you know, rather than, than with traditional, you know, another center with those guys. Um, so I think it's going to be a really, really good test for the Bucks. And um, again, especially because it's a home game, you hope that they can hold serve. And um, obviously, you know, again, if Giannis doesn't play, then kind of everything goes out the window. Um, and I think on that topic too, I mean, it's not uncommon that a guy can, you know, I, I, from what I've, you know, kind of heard read that, you know, maybe a guy can, seem like he's okay. And then the next day or two after maybe have some additional symptoms that, you know, rules him out for, you know, whatever, like a few days or a week or something like that. So again, I don't think it's time to necessarily panic about the honest thing. I'm mean, obviously if he plays, then you, you're going to assume the bucks are obviously have, you know, made sure that, that everything checks out. Um, but if he doesn't play, hopefully it's, it's just a short-term thing. I mean, I, you know, I, I hesitate to think back to like the Carlos Delfino experience, not the broken foot Carlos Delfino who never actually plays a minute for the Bucks, and as in that last stint, but um, you know, he had that period where he, he had, I don't know how many concussions he had, but um, you know, he ended up missing a big part of a season basically, right? Like if there's the stories of him being in a room in darkness on an exercise bike, cause he couldn't deal with lights and things like that. So um, you know, obviously the fact that Giannis came back into the game and, didn't see any worse for the wear. You, you hope that that's uh, obviously a positive indicator. Um, but, uh, you know, fingers crossed that, that he ends up checking out. Okay. Um, you know, Monday and, and that we do see him because certainly it'd be a disappointment if, uh, if he isn't able to go in the, the first big matchup with, with the Raptors, but again, it, you know, it's the, it's a marathon, not a sprint. You don't want to take any chances with, with Giannis and Peeler. So, um, fingers crossed he's good to go. Um, but if there's any doubt, you know, again, um, not the end of the world if you know maybe you lose a game because because you sit Giannis but but then again I mean the way the Bucks are playing who knows right who knows I I, I mean I, I I'm I'm not gonna say here the Bucks don't need Giannis because clearly they do but um I think they're much also much better positioned at this point than in previous years to to actually be able to you know squeak out a win against a good team even if Giannis doesn't play so um we'll see but again I I would agree it's a it's a big game right you're undefeated you're playing another undefeated team it doesn't matter what time of year it is. Um, you know, I think, especially if the Bucks want to be taken seriously as like, I mean, we're trying to figure out like, 
you know, I don't, I think we're all kind of nervous to like even say that the Bucks actually can compete with the Raptors and Celtics for the actual top of the East. But again, Hey, just go out and win games. You know, you're facing both those teams this week. Um, and it's never too early to be banking wins. And, you know, again, I think with this team, like, I, I don't, I don't know if I want to put a cap, you know, again, I'm, I'm not saying they're, they're going to beat the the Warriors in a finals matchup or something, but I don't know. I don't know what the ceiling of this team is right now, right? We still haven't seen Giannis at the peak of his powers. Um, and, you know, his uh, his efficiency has started to creep around, uh, creep up actually with the with the, the efficient nights he had over the weekend. Um, but, you know, we still certainly haven't seen the best from Giannis and maybe some other guys. Obviously, you know, I don't think Middleton's going to shoot 55% from three this year, but um, I, I don't think we've seen the best this Bucks team has to offer yet. And that's, that's a pretty fun thought. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that it's kind of crazy to think about that. Uh, I, I think both of us can say that confidently, like, yeah, the Bucks have not played their best basketball yet. And, um, you know, a lot of that has to do with Giannis playing his best basketball and, and figuring those things out. But yeah, that, that they haven't. And I mean, I, I just think this is such an intriguing game because, uh, Anytime you bring stuff up like this to Giannis, he just like brushes you off. And I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to say rolls his eyes, but he kind of rolls your eyes or he kind of rolls his eyes at you when you're just like, oh, you know, when you think about like this entire offseason and like the one question about the Eastern Conference everyone was asking was, you know, who's the best player in the Eastern Conference? Is it Giannis or is it Kawhi? And, you know, when you bring that stuff up to him, he's just like, like it doesn't matter. Like people are going to say whatever they want to say. Like I want to talk about winning and the team and all those things. Um, but you know, this is a really interesting game for, uh, for narratives. And if we're being totally honest, like that's what the NBA is kind of about. And, uh, you know, in the end, it's not going to matter what anyone, uh, proclaims on, uh, October 29th af- after this game. But, you know, like if, if you win this game, all of a sudden people do have to take you serious as the best team in the Eastern Conference. And uh, people have to take you serious as the best player in the Eastern Conference. Not that, and again, not that people think like Giannis is some bum or anything, but, you know, like I think there's plenty of people that think what the Raptors are doing is maybe more interesting and what Kawhi's been able to do and come back from the injury or just sitting out because that's what he was doing. Um, but like all of those things are more interesting at the moment. And, you know, if the Bucks win that game, you can kind of say all of those things and the narrative kind of tips in their favor. And uh, I know I was talking to Kane Pittman about this the other day, but he was saying like, so the Bucks beat the Sixers and they do a segment about it on the jump. And it wasn't, the segment was about like, oh, wow, look at the Bucks! Like they really figured it out. Like their schemes all make sense. Like they're putting the math problem on other teams. It was like, what's wrong with the Sixers? Let's talk about that. And, you know, like there, there is, even though the Bucks have had a national TV game and won that game handily over a Sixers team that a lot of people like to hype up. Like in the end, the conversation wasn't about the Bucks. It wasn't about what they're doing. It wasn't about Giannis. It was about, oh, yeah, look at the Sixers. Like they're they're kind of struggling. Maybe they're not as good as we thought. And uh, somehow the conversation got to to be about them. But you know, if you beat the Raptors, I would I, I don't know, but I would certainly hope that the conversation would be about you know the Bucks and kind of what they're doing. So um, we'll keep an eye on that. But I, I do think it's a big game. I'm interested by it. Um, I think there's 
uh, a lot of interesting questions because uh, obviously Nick Nurse is a guy that I'm a big fan of. Um, I think he's a, a sharp dude, and you know the he kind of helped the Raptors redo everything that they're doing. The Bucks found their guy uh, to do that in Mike Boonholzer this year. But, um, you know, I think that they're a well-coached team and they have a lot of talent and I think it's going to be a fun test and I'm very excited for, for Monday night. Yeah, we'll see. Hopefully we can keep this streak going and have a, another good story to tell Monday night. Um, but again, it's a long season. I think, again, like he, a lot of this is just looking for, you know, the, the, the process, you know, I mean, again, it's kind of, um, cliche to say trust the process uh, <laughs> in, in for any team in the NBA other than the, the Sixers, but um, I don't know what 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 what's the Bucks equivalent? Trust the shot chart? Maybe that's the let the it fly. Cry. Maybe it I fly. don't know. Yeah, um, but you know, trust the shot that, chart sounds good. I like that. that. That sounds officially nerdy for for us to use. That it will never have any mainstream. Um, you know, <laughs> uh, let's just say it will not be a, a a hashtag that really gets trending nationwide on Twitter, but. Um, I don't, I don't think any players are going to get it tattooed, uh, on their bodies, but, um, you know, I think that's probably a big piece of it, right? Like, can you, can you manage to continue doing what you've been doing? Um, and then look, if the bucks lose a game because they go, you know, nine out of 45 from three, you know, I think as we've said, like, so be it, you know, you're, you're going to have a night like that at some point. Um, but again, if you kind of keep doing the things you've been doing, uh, then I think we've seen that, you know good things are going to tend to happen. And, um, you know, I think, I think a lot of ways this is just a, you know, the, the result is obviously the most important thing, but I think also, I mean, look, if, if you want to compete with these teams at the top of the East, look ahead to potentially having to play a team like Toronto in the playoffs. You also understand how you match up with them, you know, what lineups are going to work and not work. Um, and so I'm, I'm curious to see how, how that shakes out as well. Like I, I'm, I'm very curious. I mean, if this is a, cl- you know, a close game or, you know, competitive game in the fourth quarter, um, is Brooke Lopez closing the game? You know, do they have to go smaller? Um, you know, what is the kind of cat and mouse game between Mike Bootenholz or Nick Nurse? Because certainly the the Raptors can do a bunch of different things and um, they're going to, you know, probably test the the Bucks in, in ways that uh, that maybe they haven't. They can obviously throw a lot of bodies, assuming Giannis does play. They can obviously throw a lot of different looks at him defensively um, that that maybe other teams can't between between OG and, and Pascal Siakam um, and, you know, and, and Danny Green and Kawhi. I mean, you know, they, they have no shortage of, you know, guys who are, you know, in that sort of like two to four, you know, position defensively. Um, and, and they can obviously give Giannis a lot of different looks. And again, they could have, they were able to do that with different guys, um, a couple of years ago in the playoffs as well. And Giannis figured out how to get his, um, so, so we'll see, but, uh, again, it's, it's fun to have early October games that, that feel like big games. And, um, obviously to, to, <laughs> to be speaking out of bucks team, that's, that's undefeated and doing things that no bucks team has done before. Um, I mean, honestly, I can't think of anything more you could have asked nope. for uh, I, I cannot either. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Hopefully a bunch of you have found tickets to Pfizer form and are going to be able to make it, uh, crazy and loud and make it a whole lot of fun. Um, so yeah, we will talk about it after the game. So for Frank Madden, I'm Eric name. This has been lockdown bucks. We'll talk to you tomorrow after the game.